John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 671.NU2711, certificate number 23502. Jennings vs. Jennings. Well, well. You are a ward of court, Miss Clare. Do you know what that means? I'm not sure that I do, sir. You and Mr. Carstone both being orphaned, you have been placed under the jurisdiction of the court. As claimants in the case, as direct descendants of the original John Jarndyce of Bleak House in Hertfordshire, now long deceased, you may inherit a very great deal of money, one or both of you, when this case is settled. You know, it's actually, uh, even though when you write down the name of a court case, a British court case, or at least at the time in the 19th century, you would have written Jennings v. Jennings, but when it was actually set out loud, they would have said Jennings and Jennings. Really? So I guess the letter V is pronounced and, and when in we, the United Kingdom. When we talk about court cases, we still, we say Jennings v. Jennings. Yeah, we say Roe, we don't say Roe and Wade or Miranda and Arizona. But we don't say versus, which I, I always assume the V stands for versus. Yeah, that makes it sound more exciting, right? That makes it sound more like. Jennings Amer versus Jennings. American gladiators, you know, Rams yeah. versus Eagles. Let's go. Thursday who's, night football. Who's going to win, Roe or Wade? <laughs> like, yeah, they, they need to have a little kind of fighting Supreme Court robot, like the football robots. But uh, c considering that the law never uses one word when four will do, why do they shorten verses to V? <laughs> what time are we really saving here? I don't understand it at all. Jennings and, v. Jennings. And I guess given a previous entry in the omnibus, this is the second letter of the alphabet that's pronounced and. Right. Not just the ampersand, and per se and, but also v. It can be pronounced and. Only in the UK, right? And in yes. the UK. Yes, remember when Winston Churchill was like, <laughs> and for victory. <laughs> Both hands up in the air, peace, no, and. Uh, do you have a, what is your experience with lawyers like in your life? Hmm. Well, your you father have, is a lawyer. I'm like the black sheep of my family because I'm not a lawyer. I'm the, like essentially one of the few non, only people in my family that haven't passed the bar. My father was a lawyer. His brother was a lawyer. His brother-in-law was a lawyer. And, uh. Family business. And I am, I was the. I mean, there are a lot of black sheep in my family, so I can't say I'm the only one that didn't pass the bar. <laughs> You're not in jail. You're <laughs> sitting here talking to the future. You're, you've done all right. My oldest sister married a lawyer. Lawyers, lawyers all the way down. And uh, I, I intended to be a lawyer. It was like I 
I considered that my course. I assumed that too, which yeah. is kind of a funny, it's like the uh, executioner. It's like uh, Albert Pierpont. Mm-hmm. You just kind of assume the main job is whatever your dad does. Yeah. And there's other options in storybooks, farmers and whatnot. But really the main job is what your dad does. There were a lot of kids in my school when, when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? They had exciting jobs, but airplane pilot or fireman or astronaut. I wonder if it's different now that more women work. So at a minimum, kids will see like, wait, there's two jobs. Right. Both my mom (laughs) and dad are lawyers. (laughs) My experience with lawyers' kids, I guess just from a sample size of one, is that you hear more lawyer jokes than everyone else. For sure. Like my dad loved telling awful lawyer jokes about how they all need to be. I mean, the punchline is that they're all awful and need to be burned or buried in uh, manure. My dad didn't tell a lot of lawyer jokes, but he definitely, you know, he was one of those lawyers that would say, go to law school. You know, you can do anything with a law degree. Yeah. And I would say, what did you do? You just were a lawyer. And he's like, <laughs> That well, is kind of the main thing you do with a law degree. <laughs> he's like, well, you could go into business. And I'm like, well, you didn't go into business. And he'd say, well, yeah. And then I would say, did you enjoy being a lawyer? Do you like being a lawyer now? This is when we would have those big arguments when I was 18 and was so smart. Was he really invested in you going to law school at that time? I I think he wanted to vicariously become a United States senator through me. Um, Ah, So he wanted me to go to law school, but only as a stepping stone for an illustrious career. Your dad's Joe Kennedy. Yeah. Well, for sure, I think. I I think he even thought of us as the poorer... Kennedys, (laughs) Kennedys, <laughs> the poorer, less Catholic Kennedys. Except you kept crashing your car off bridges, like not just once, but just hundreds of times. I never killed anybody though. <laughs> so at, I don't think he enjoyed being a lawyer. I don't think he liked the practice of law. I think he was good at it, good enough that it propelled us through life. But I think he really wanted to be a politician. and Which is one other thing you can do with a law degree. It is. The, it's maybe the main second thing. And when, when I ran for office, I realized that being a lawyer would have helped, would have helped a lot. <laughs> not, not necessarily because it's a lawmaking position, but because it is the culture of the people that run for office. I grew up watching my dad work at a law firm and it wasn't some high pressure New York firm, but it was almost worse. It was some long hours Asian firm where everybody would work insane hours and then go drink and then go back to work and work some more. And was it, he it the only Western lawyer there or, or? No, they they had hired a bunch of American lawyers, I think probably for the amount of international work this firm was doing. But the business at the firm, was it done in Korean? Did your dad learn Korean? Uh, he, his Korean wasn't as excellent, which I think really helped. So yeah, in the building, I think a lot of the business was done in Korean. But, uh, you know, the, I think the contracts, the joint venture agreements that were being drawn up were all in English. English and a knowledge of American contract law helped and was probably prestigious in Korea in the 80s. But my dad did not seem particularly happy in this job, which was a have you which, ever asked him kind of dissuaded he, to me. If he liked being a lawyer, have you ever asked him that? He enjoys the law. He is kind of semi-retired now, but he has a partner who will, you know, a law partner who will drag him back in and be like, write this patent application or write this brief or whatever. And it's a kind of perfect for me if I had actually gone to law school, just kind of the just mastery of historical minutiae and kind of pulling uh, kind of hypothetical arguments out of your butt just kind of for fun. Like these are things I enjoy and those are skills I have. And the, there's not a lot of other jobs that kind of reward that kind of mastery of facts and imagination and our white collar jobs. Yeah, I, I think being the children of lawyers 
means that your dinner table conversation is a different kind of thing, right? I mean, we sat and debated politics at dinner and you were expected to have a, like a coherent, be able to make a coherent argument. Yeah. There's lots of, um, pedantry <laughs> at a lawyer's table. <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot of my friends who, uh, people in my generation who went to law school, like very few of them still practice. Yeah. Like a lot of them either, I have a friend who burned out doing big tobacco law that he hated and now he's like, I don't know, teaching Dante to freshmen at Fordham or something. I know a gal uh, who graduated from the University of San Francisco Law School and now is waiting tables here in Seattle quite happily. By choice? Yeah. You know, she just there's... didn't really enjoy the law and really does enjoy selling expensive bottles of wine to people over dinner. Yeah. No, no, no kidding. If you've got the right job there. My brother-in-law um, passed the bar and now he just has kind of a nice uh, government job for the Bureau of Land Management. He's out trying to, trying to take keep... ranch land from good Americans and... Yeah, good, honest uh, American wackos <laughs> who keep trying to board themselves up in his buildings with guns. But what is it? I mean, what kept me out of law school was like a decided lack of ambition and organizational <laughs> skills and also, you know, a, a real preponderance to live in in a cloud of fantasy, but you But are, you do use words like preponderance, uh, which would, which, which would certainly help on the applications. <laughs> but you like were ambitious and went to college and got a degree and something technical, like you could have gone to law school just as easily. I could have. And I'm, I think I kind of count my blessings that I didn't mm -hmm. because, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gone on the game show. Who knows? Oh, right. You would have I need been... to, I need to, when I look back at my life, I need to calibrate it. So I'm just unhappy enough <laughs> to still be looking for any kind of, uh, <laughs> any kind of out, any kind of weird lottery, uh, lightning strike. It's true. Cause you could be, you could be working at a law firm right now and you'd be the like surprisingly witty lawyer in an otherwise drab firm <laughs> full of cogs and nuges. I hope I've made partner by now. Every once in a while you'd come out with some little blue witticism and people would go, huh. And then I'd get fired. He's. He's a little bit saucier than I would have thought. So this is your imagination. <laughs> I would be a saucy lawyer. A little bit of a saucy lawyer. <laughs> like on a David Kelly TV show? I don't mean a saucy lawyer. I mean a slightly saucier than everyone else at the firm lawyer. Surprisingly saucy lawyer. The idea of a lightning strike, something to, you know, rescue you from a life of drudgery, I guess in our generation, the lottery or, or quiz shows, but mostly the lottery, yeah. um, did not exist in 19th century England. People had very few kind of ways they could dream of suddenly striking it rich. Were there no lotteries in, in the uh, 19th century? Are there no workhouses? Are there no? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got into the Dickens uh, stuff here yet. You can't have any meat if you don't eat your pudding. There, So I guess there were state lotteries kind of off and on going back maybe to the 17th century, um, but not some kind of nationally well-run thing where everybody's waiting to hear their numbers or see them in the times. Um, the right. last such lottery, I think, wrapped up in the, mm, I think maybe the 1820s and didn't come back until John Major, like 1993. That's when Britain brings back the National Lottery to fund whatever they claim they're funding. Right. Schools. The Iraq War. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, you could dig up Roman gold. That, I guess that's the main thing. If yeah, you were a treasure. treasure hunter, you were literally a treasure hunter. Right. You were out there on the beaches. Well, you could be out on the beaches discovering fossil remains and gluing them together and selling them from your seashell shop on the seashore. That's one option available if you live in Cornwall or wherever Mary Anning lived. I think a very common trope in literature at the time was that money would arrive 
through a magical inheritance. Can we oh, long lost oh. uncle? I had this big time when I was a kid. Did you actually have rich uncles? No, but because I, I, we've talked about it before that my family had this, uh, was built on this sort of lie of who we were and where we were from. We were, my, my grandfather. Right, you were not Welsh peasants, you were. Scottish royalty. Lairds. And there was some, I mean, there was constantly the implication that maybe some Scottish uh, vice baron would die and there'd be no no heir, no survivors, and that would the trickle. King Ralph situation. Yeah, trickle all the way down and there'd be a, a knock on the, the door. Atlantic. And somebody there in a, in a tam-o-shanter would say, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the new lord. It's a Scottish, uh, it's a Scottish uh, inheritance lawyer. Yeah, that's right. A state lawyer who handles all those cases. But it, uh, alas, it didn't come to pass. Not yet. Well, no, I mean, it turns out we're Welsh. All I inherited was a bag of coal, okay. which in... In Wales is actually what Santa brings you. In Wales, it's good. <laughs> if you're a good little <laughs> child. In Wales, kids do sit around waiting, hoping that someone will show up at the door with some coal. <laughs> we won't have to burn peat today. We won't have to like try to burn mud in our house made of mud. But uh, Jennings, Jennings sounds to me like the archetypal English name. But you're saying that it's a Norman name or a... Uh, well, I did, not, I did not say that. I told you that before we you, started recording. You've, you've said it to me. You've said it to me over the years <laughs> we, many times. We talk about this every time I'm I show a, up. I'm a Scandahoovian. Hi, John. I'm Ken Jennings. Uh, that's of Danish extraction. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there, there have been Jenningses in, the, in the Britain back before the Norman Conquest. And it's because it's a, I think it's a Danish name that came with King Canute yeah. when he first landed. Dana um, Law. Yes. I don't know what that means. Dana Law. Oh, right. Danish. Uh, Law. Law. Right. <laughs> That's, what, That's it means. what I should have practiced. I should have practiced Danish law. It's all Lego patent infringement cases. You're going down, Tycho. You're going down, Mega Blocks. You can't build a statue of a boy peeing. We have the <laughs> monopoly on that. Uh, yeah, when King Canute landed, I guess he had some kind of courtiers or whatever men at arms named Jennings. And I think it's just, you know, son of Jens. I think it's essentially Johnson. Right. So there have been Jenningses in the UK for thousands of years, uh, which play, figures into our story. Hundreds of Jenningses figure into our story. Well, today. now, I don't know, thousands, maybe let's say thousand years. Did I say thousands? Yeah. That'd be said, a bit much. They've yeah. been there for thousands Mary Anning years. finding fossils of, of uh, Jenningses <laughs> on the beach. 11,000 years. Over a thousand years. Yeah, it's like yeah. ancient Lem Atlantis and Lemuria. Right. Everybody was named Gen Jennings. Jennings. In one of the uh, literary examples of um, wrangling over inheritance, it's kind of a twist. It's Dickens's Bleak House. Yeah. Dickens does have, I think Dickens has plenty of novels where some guy shows up at the door and says, good luck, little man. You've just earned this, uh, an, a remarkable living. Right. 150 pound a year. <laughs> Here's a brand new crutch. They're not, they're not British for some reason in this scenario. <laughs> they, they just talk like this. <laughs> this voice indicates a British accent. <laughs> Um, but in this book, uh, in Bleak House, possibly Dickens's greatest novel, you ever read Bleak House? I have. I don't know. I mean, there's like 11 books that you could say possibly his greatest novel. Sure. And you can sound smart by picking a weird one. Yeah. You can be like, oh, Dom no, Dombey and Son, Bleak probably House. his great masterpiece. Yeah. Bleak House is one that makes you sound smart because it's not assigned in schools. You're not saying Great Expectations or Tale of Two Cities. Right. Um, I would not say Tale of Two Cities is his greatest work. I don't think I've ever even read it. I have. There's movies. It's, it's quite laborious. It's got the whole thing where two guys look alike and get confused, which is like a sitcom <laughs> trope. And I feel Dickens should be above. <laughs> I mean, he invented it. <laughs> right. 
right. They're identical cousins. You have to really be into the French Revolution to enjoy that story. And I'm not. Yeah, I know you're not. I'm not. You're anti-French Revolution. I'm all in favor of like Marie Antoinette or whatever. They should have let her play in her gardens and fountains and whatnot. I know you She seems so happy. Bleak House holds up pretty well, though. If you mm-hmm. read it today, it's it, it's very modern seeming. It's it's got m- two narrators. It switches back and forth between first person narration by Esther Summerson, a woman, the only woman to narrate a, a Dickens novel, and third person narration, which is in the present tense. Oddly, again, something that wouldn't have come back in American, you know, in in modern novels until Updike in the fifties, really. Sure. So it's. Uh, it seems kind of like avant-garde and... Well, uh, and it's also a legal drama. It's ripped from the headlines. <laughs> junk, junk. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of chapter headings, when you read Bleak House Out Loud, you go, boom, boom, junk, boom. junk. Yeah, it's, uh, it takes place or it revolves around a chancery court case in uh, the UK at the time, in Britain at the time. Chancery courts were courts of equity that dealt with all kinds of cases involving equity. Basically, there's money at stake, at land law, estate cases. Were there still... Uh, debtors' prisons. Oh yeah, in uh, in eighteen thirty, let's say. I th- think so. Isn't a debtor? There, there's Dickens novels that take place around that time that have yeah. debtors' prisons. Which one? Little Dorrit, maybe. I think Little Dorrit's all about debtors' prisons. Debtors' prison. So yeah, that you know, if you if you couldn't pay off a debt, you just yeah. went to jail for ten years. It was fun, right? But the case of uh, the ca- the fictional case in Bleak House is called Jarndyce v. Well, I guess it would be Jarndyce and Jarndyce. And it's about a family squabbling over a fortune. I think somebody, some Jarndyce died in test date and now everybody wants the money. And Jarndyce v. Jarndyce, or Jarndyce and Jarndyce, translated into English, it's Jarndyce v. Jarndyce. It's Jarndyce v. Jarndyce. Jarndyce? Jarndyce? Yennings. Yendus. That's still like a, that's still used as a shorthand for this scenario. In, right. Con, in, even in contemporary. Because the, the novel go, takes it to comical and satiric extremes, the kind of inefficiency and the bad outcomes you got from chancery courts back then in that, you know, these legal wranglings could go on for years or in the case of Bleak House, decades. And at the end of the novel, after all this squabbling over money, it turns out that a decision just finally comes down. And by the time it does, all of the estate has been absorbed by the lawyer's fees. Mm. So nobody got rich except the the barristers and the solicitors or, or whatever they have over lawyers. there. Lawyers. Bewigged weirdos who uh, who took all the money. What's the ran. worst thing about a school bus full of lawyers going over a cliff? What, John? There was one empty seat. <laughs> That's essentially the same joke as like, what do you call a lawyer up to his neck in uh, manure? What? I don't know, a good start or something, six, <laughs> six inches short. I guess the joke is usually, it's like, you know, burning a million lawyers, a good start. Or yeah. Right. All the, the hilarious premise of all these jokes is that violence against lawyers is, is A, it's good. Right. But B, the real problem is there's not enough of it. There's not enough violence against lawyers. We need, we need more of it. And because no one is actually trying to do violence against lawyers that much, these jokes are still funny. Well, I think there's no small amount of... Attempted violence against lawyers. You tried to uh, attack Matlock once for yeah. some reason. Well, because I wanted his clothes. <laughs> to the end of his life, Andy Griffith had a restraining order. Give me that linen suit, you. <laughs> you old, you're not enjoying it, you weird old man. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. 
Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout um in the when dickens wrote about bleak house he said that um jarndyce and jarndyce had been inspired by a couple real life cases because the chancery courts were awful back then. And people would see, we see this today as well, you know, legal squabbles that really just exhaust the coffers of everyone involved. This is a trope that we still use, which is why we still know Jarndyce and Jarndyce. It's right. kind of the legal, ur- the literary ur case of this trope. Um, but it's well understood today, or it's generally accepted today, that one of the cases that Dickens had in mind when he wrote about John Jarndyce and his squabbling family uh, is the case of Jennings and Jennings, or Jennings v. Jennings. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennings v. Jennings. My my possible ancestors are are part of the problem. Well, if these were your possible ancestors, then uh, from what I understand about this case, you might have uh, this took on some class action aspects where like the American Jenninses were coming out of the woodwork. Like, this does tie into where, my, my own Jennings family lore. That is true. Is that right? There's a, th- this touches the Jennings. I texted my dad yesterday to see if, uh, if he had grown up aware of, uh, Jennings v. Jennings. Jennings v. Jennings. And he had, it was ah! basically if you were named Jennings for about 200 years, you knew about this case because it was your lottery, your right. lightning strike, your dream. Um, the whole thing started in 1798 with the death of William Jennings. As so many things do. It starts with the death of a weird, crabby old man. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennings, <laughs> Jennings uh, was an incredibly rich man and shockingly then as now, he was rich because he came from money. Um, his father, Robert Jennings, had been the aide-de-camp to the first Duke of Marlborough, John, mm. John Churchill, Winston Churchill's ancestor. Mm-hmm. And so he was cavorting with the finest people in the land. He was able to, Robert Jennings was able to marry his wife in Westminster Abbey. See, um, rich people. The rich keep getting richer, Ken. Sure. You know. Except in our case. You know, I'm actually descended from John Churchill. Is that right? No money though. Maybe, yeah, maybe you should be getting the Jennings fortune. Well, I, what if you have a better claim than me? There's only a tangential connection. How closely related are you to, for example, Winston Churchill of And for Victory fame? Long, long, long distance, long separate. Sixth cousins, twice removed. One thousand, one thousandth. You're one one thousand twenty fourth <laughs> Churchill? <laughs> yeah. Like, like Elizabeth Warren? You know, the thing is, as you go further and further back, um, we're all just related. We're all brothers and sisters in the, in the global Isn't human that community. Isn't yeah. that great? It's like a, it makes me want to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Yeah, me too. I'd like to buy the world a... a uh, Jones Cola? <laughs> <laughs> what, what weird off-brand cola are you going to buy the world? I'd like to buy the world a Shasta. <laughs> I'd like to buy the world some Coke. <coughs> like on a mirror. I'd like to buy the world some Coke and keep it company. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you <laughs> keep would. Keep leaning over their shoulder. <laughs> um... 
What? Uh, so, oh, uh, oh, so we you, were talking about. We were about oh, yeah, and you were saying that everybody's related. Yeah, it's true that like essentially every U.S. every pair of U.S. presidents has been discovered to be twelfth cousins or so. Right. Like Washington and Obama are twelfth cousins, cousins. Or, or less, just because you go back twelve generations, and yeah, the whole West is. I mean, we're all just uh, six kisses away from Kevin Bacon. Have you ever <laughs> six degrees of Kevin Bacon to yourself? Uh, it's hard when you have no screen credits. Oh, you need screen credits. It's not just, you can't just have stage Someone time. Someone you know or, oh, stage time. Because if I do stage time, I can get pretty close to anybody in show business. Because, How? Because uh, I've stood on stage with Like a get lot to of, a Beatle. Oh, well, let's see. I mean, I'm just one kiss away from somebody who's gone on vacation with Paul. Wow. But, but I haven't been on stage Is it with, that Was it that awful one-legged woman? No, 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 no. She's, oh, okay. well, from all accounts, she's very nice. Oh, wait, but who's awful then? Paul. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I remember now. But stage time doesn't count. It has to be a screen credit, right? Well, I, I think in the strict you form. That's how it IMDb. started, in the strict form. Because it was not like connect your greengrocer to Kevin Bacon. It was like, right. it was like connect Gary Oldman to Kevin Bacon. Right, which, which is easy. super JFK, easy, right. JFK, one movie. Um, oh, you're really good at, I bet you're really good at six degrees of Kevin Bacon if as a cocktail party. I made a complicated trip. kind of three dimensional tesseract of a Kevin Bacon chart once that connected other actors named Kevin all to Kevin Bacon. Like you can connect Kevin Spacey and Kevin Costner and Kevin. This was a thing you uh, did for hire like, or this was the thing you did because you were in the bathroom. For hire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A rich millionaire appeared at my door and said, in, in a tam and uh -huh. said, I need you to do a four-dimensional map of actors named Kevin. <laughs> your, your entire media career is so like strange to me. It's, it's that, plausible. That's plausible, right? It's plausible that somebody like, come with me, lad. I, <laughs> I need it now. Why is he Scottish? <laughs> no, this is me being bored in church or something, I yeah. think. So yeah, I do, I do enjoy a good Kevin Bacon game. I guess if it's just stage time, I guess uh, then any movie with a Jeopardy clip Gets me one away, you know. Groundhog Day has uh, a Jeopardy clip. And oh, so I see. Which any 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 media property that plays the Jeopardy theme uh, <laughs> any, as a hilarious any baseball like... <laughs> game that plays the Jeopardy theme during a pitching change. No, but uh, yeah. So like a a young Donald Trump who says he pulled himself out of nothing. Um, William right. Jennings was an awful miserly man who actually Inherited had money. every blessing. Yeah, he uh, when he was born, his family was in such good regard that he was given a silver ewer from the king. And he grew up in his family's uh, digs in posh Mayfair. The king was his godfather, right? Or was there, he had some royal... Um, Do you think like, if the king gives anybody a ewer, he becomes your godfather? I don't know. No, I think, I think you then, could get a kingly ewer and, and, and not one day, count him your godfather. And one day on the day of his daughter's wedding, you show up with the ewer and you, you ask for your favor. <laughs> Here's the ewer, it's you, proof. You rub it three times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the godfather comes out. <laughs> Petting a white cat. Uh, yeah, he was, do you want to go down the Godfather? No, no, no. Oh, I okay. think, uh, but he, he was not like Donald Trump. He inherited money, but then he made, maybe unlike Donald Trump, a plausible claim to have independently extended his wealth. No, he also, he, you know, he, uh, generated wealth through awful ways, perhaps again, like Donald Trump. Landlordism? Um, but he had a lot of, he had a lot of, even worse than landlordisms, loan sharkism. Oh, Hello. Yeah, so he, he's raised in these posh Mayfair digs. At some point, his dad decides, Robert 
Jennings decides he wants to get out of the city and have some kind of posh Palladian estate out in Suffolk. Oh. So they move out to the town of Acton. Um, but young William sticks around in London hanging about gambling clubs, not entirely because he's a dissolute young man. I don't think he's gambling. What he's really doing is finding out who's having a bad day and then loaning money at usurious rates. Well, but these aren't like seedy gambling clubs. Presumably these are, I mean, this was a time when rich people gambled and... Oh, sure. It's people doing snuff and playing whist. Yes. I hello. Bet. Tons of snuff. I'd like to buy the world some snuff. You know, if you and I did a little more snuff and played a little more whist, <laughs> I think we'd cut a pretty rakish figure around this town. I, it, to me, snuff is like, um, it's the worst to me because at least cocaine is white. Yeah. It seems clean and, and pure and antiseptic in a kind of Studio 54 kind of a bright way, but snuff is you're just sucking brown dirt into your nose. I, well, I did snuff a little bit. It was, it was, what's it like? It was briefly fashionable in my high school in the eighties <laughs> in Alaska, because we were all trying to figure out all the ways you could take any drug into your body. Yeah. I think, I think it still happens. Snuff in high schools. Yeah. I, I think I saw European kids in my high school sneaking snuff. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, it's appalling, but it's also, you get a rush, but I was at a party not that long ago, probably five years ago, where a, uh, a sophisticated woman invited five of her most eligible, exciting bachelors to a party. Uh, it was a, like a dinner party, right? Where it was like, she sat at the head of the table and then she just- Were she, you on a reality show? She'd assembled like five, her five most interesting bachelors to meet one another and also just sit and pay tribute to her. And one of the guys pulled out a, a snuff box and was like, would anyone like a little snuff? And I said, <laughs> sure, you know, I'll take a little snuff. And I took so a little- So you're straight edge, but not when it comes to snuff. Oh, well, sure. I mean, I've been at a dinner party of fascinating guys. I'll take a pinch of snuff. So I took a little snuff and I, and it, there was something about it that was wrong, but I was like, you know, maybe this guy, he's so sophisticated. He's got a silver snuff box. Like this must be some Danish super snuff. And that's when he's like, these are my dad's cremains. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I wish. No, I put it in my nose and was like, you know, did some stuff. And it was, I fell to the floor and I recognized the smell. What he'd done is just put Copenhagen <laughs> chewing tobacco in a snuff box. And I was like, you know, it says Copenhagen snuff on the can, but it's not actually snuff. It's. This wasn't the prank. He just didn't know how. He didn't to, know. He didn't know the difference. He was trying to do something sophisticated. And I was like, snuff is its own separate thing. You don't just put chewing tobacco in your nose. And I had to go to the <laughs> bathroom and wash it out. And just like, oh, this is such a bad party. Did he, was he disqualified from the Bachelorette Olympics at that point? No, because we all, you know, part of being a, a fascinating, one of these fascinating guys is that you, you give one another a razzing and he'd given us all a great opportunity to razz him. Ah, the greatest gift. So, uh, William Jennings is, um, sniffing snuff, snuffing snuff. Snuffling snuff? Snoofing. Snoofing. He's snoofing snuff. Snoofling snuff. Snoofing sniff. Scratch and sniff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, making people, you know, he's a loan shark. He's, he's making loans to people who are in need of money. And when his father dies, of course, that strengthens his financial position somewhat. And I guess he has two very rich uncles who die as well. <coughs> and he inherits? Leaving him substantial fortune. This guy gets the knock on the, he gets the Tam knock. This guy gets four different um, Tam knocks. Boo. And so at this point, he, uh, I think he like lets the servants go, stops all work on his, on his uh, father's, father's mansion and just moves into the basement with like cold soup, like Ebenezer Scrooge, basically. Right. And becomes well known for the next 
100 years as the miser of Acton. Uh, William the Rich, they call him, uh, with his with his vast fortune. Again, you know, like a Dickens character, you know, earned from the travails of the unfortunate and uh, what, what is not the, making his life less miserable or anyone else's. What's the appeal of being rich and living in a cold basement? I often wonder. I, I You know, I, uh, reading about J. Paul Getty refusing to pay the ransom when his grandson's ear gets sent to him. Right. Like, you realize it is a mental illness. Like, he knows he can pay these Italians 1.5 million, but that's 1.5 million then that he would not have. Right. There's no amount of, and, and he would be physically uncomfortable, compulsively weirded out by the idea that he had money that was providing him with security and then lost a little bit of it. There's no amount of money that's going to make this guy feel like he's good. Yeah. That's, that seems like a disorder that plagues a lot of people now. At least it's only rich people. So it, it can, all I can do so is you just, don't feel sorry for them. Well, all I can do is destroy life on earth, you know, because they're, <laughs> they're the people that have all the political power and corporate power. As there well. are so many people doing such bad things in Silicon Valley that I wish would just retire and go become like an eccentric, uh, oh. like be a, a gross playboy, you know, buy an old aircraft carrier and fill it full of like footmen. Well, Elon Musk is shooting cars into space. That's not good enough for you? Or you want more of that? I wish he would just stop trying uh, trying to also do the business stuff. Mm. Like Paul Allen had it kind of going on because he just spent all his time at basketball games or football games, right? He was like, he was living it up at, at least. That's that's what a cancer scare does to you, right? Right. Like, hey, I'm done at the office. I'm uh, going to start flying a helicopter all, everywhere I go. And playing guitar with holograms of uh, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Yeah, but like, Jack Dorsey from Twitter? Why doesn't he just wander off and go to Burning Man and not come back? Are you? Would you be okay with him sitting in a damp uh, basement? Oh no, and I don't wish that on anybody. Counting his gold? No, no. But I've, I've, you know, I went to a couple cocktail parties a few years ago in San Francisco where there were billionaires all around, young ones, you know, our age billionaires. Uh, ugh, they're so boring. <laughs> they're just like ugh. They're so conventional is maybe part of the problem. I you, guess it's just that the key to any anecdote or even biography is um, some kind of suffering or inconvenience, right. right? Like a story never begins with, and everything was going perfectly at the resort and then continued to, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> it has to be everything was going perfectly at the resort until the kidnappers showed up right, or something. until the power went out or, you know, something's got to happen. And these people never have an inciting incident in their life. They make sure all the inciting incidents happen to other people. Happen to their servants. Right. And then they're told about them. Well, they're not even told. It just takes 30 seconds longer than usual for the thing to arrive. And they're like, what happened? And nobody even tells them about the Jeep accident or whatever. Right. Um, the six people who died. Here's your cold soup, sir. I'm sorry it's late. So they're wealthy in everything but anecdote. So that all works out. So here he is, the miser of Acton. In 1798, he is 98 years old. When you're born in 1700, the math's very easy. So he is one of the oldest men in England, possibly the oldest man in Suffolk, and maybe the richest commoner in England. Um, oh, sure, because he, although he's he's not the you know he's not the crown basically, you know maybe the king, right? Maybe George the Third has more or eighteen hundred, yeah, George the Third. But maybe, he is not he's he has not been bestowed with a title. No, he's not the baron of anything, or the, he's not a viscount or anything. It seems usually when someone is that rich and that old that they end up with an honorary title. Somebody puts a sword on their shoulder. Yeah, I wonder if that's just a testament to how awful or uh, lonely he was. I bet. But at this time in 1798, he's amassed a fortune of two million pounds, which oh, would be at a time when 400 pounds a year was a 
good kingly in, sum. Yeah, yeah, good income. So that would be, yeah, it's in the $300 million range today. I think it's, it's mid nine figures, um, upwards of 300 million. So a, a vast fortune. And he dies at a ripe old age of 98, um, unmarried. He never married, never had kids. It's no surprise. What a shocker. And he's intestate. He has no testicles. No, he has no, he has no will. That seems weird that someone at that time that rich would die without a will. The published, the widely published magazine account of the time uh, says that as, when he died, the will was in his coat pocket unsigned mm. because when his lawyers presented it to him, he didn't have his spectacles and refused to sign without reading all the fine print in his, with his spectacles. And this is almost certainly apocryphal. This does not seem remotely plausible. Very Dickensian. Right. But that was, so I guess, I guess even real life people wanted real life to be Dickensian back then. Their serialized stories were not good enough. They wanted to read that in the news that awful things had happened. And what did people. his unsigned will, how, how did it be bequeath his estate? Yeah, I don't know. Cause he, he wouldn't have had any uh, offspring. And in fact, when you live to be 98, you don't have a lot of you sure. know, all your relatives have died as well. And they've just had, you know, you've got great grand nieces and nephews and third cousins twice removed that you've never even seen or heard of. But he could have set up a trust to spend his money like hurling potatoes off a bridge or something, you know. Is that the, is that the Georgian equivalent <laughs> of shooting cars into space? <laughs> I'm so rich, I can throw these potatoes into the Thames. <laughs> Every morning I want a man <laughs> to throw two bushels of potatoes into the Thames River. So the courts examine this case, it goes into chancery. And, you know, popularly when you read about this case today, it's assumed to be some kind of Jarndyce and Jarndyce situation where the courts are flummoxed and nobody knows what to do and it drags on and on through endless procedures. But that does not seem to be the case. In fact, within 10 days, the Chancery Court delivers a verdict mm -hmm. and the fortune is awarded. His physical possessions and effects and, and whatnot, um, what, what they would have called his personality at the time. That was your personality. Is that right? The stuff that you owned. That was the, the phrase? Yeah, that was the legal phrase. His personality um, that could go to just closest relative of any kind. So he's got a... It could be me. He's got an aunt. No, he's got an aunt or something. Oh, um, but his estate had to go through the mail line at the time. That's the plot device of so many Jane Austen novels. Um, and in this case, the the best mail they could find was an, an eight-year-old, Robert or Richard William Penn Curzon, an eight-year-old descendant of of his aunt. So it was like his aunt's... I don't know. Sure. Great grandson or something. Cause all the other men closer had died. So within 10 days, there's a verdict, this vast fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars. Eight year old child. Go to some awful eight year old. But at this point, everybody, you know, everybody's interested because this is the lottery of its day. Right. You know, it's, it's in all the papers and everybody who possibly has a connection to that part of the country or to someone named Jennings or to someone they heard had a relative named Jennings wants to get in on the action. And in fact, um, in on the actin. <laughs> ding. Sorry. I don't have a bell. Here, here's your bell. Do you want your bell? No, I'm fine. All right. What if I do a thing where I have to point to you and you have to bell yourself? Uh, like we have like kind of a sub dom thing where you have to electroshock yourself. <laughs> um, will, will you tell me if it's like a live bell or a dead bell? Yeah. I'll, well, um, which one did that get? So if I do like the finger across my throat, yeah. that's like flat bell. Flat bell. Okay. So well, here, here we'll do it. Oh, so that's just, yeah. yeah. No, it was pretty good, actually. Do you want a, do you Ma want a man of Acton? Do you Let, want a live rebel? Let's hear a real one. Ah, 
still going. Well, here's this one. Oh, wait, how do you do? Oh, you have two. You do have two bells. I have two bells. So I can't actually see the red one. It's behind the thing. Are you doing the Jaws theme? We need to give you like a full octave. Da -da -da. For the Christmas show, we're going to give you a full octave of bells and you're going to play carols for the full hour. I'll just, I'll sit and play these champagne glasses that I also <laughs> have right here. I just don't have them filled up. Can you rub your finger over the rim? Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. And in fact, uh, when you, another effective living to be 100 years old is um, that everyone who might know your genealogy is also dead. So nobody is really actually as clear as you'd think about the Jennings family going back two or three generations. No one can even find a baptismal record for his dad, which turns out to be a crucial omission. But, um, but the court having decided who has cause to sue and who are they suing? Right. So at this point, dozens and dozens of claims can be made to the chancery court saying, hey, you awarded it to this guy, but we are, according to our family lore, we have a better claim. Here's our evidence. And the evidence would also was often hinge on all kinds of soap opera twists. You know, that uh, one one family who who wrote an account of the case, which is kind of the standard work on it to this day, was convinced that there was another Robert Jennings who died around the same time with another son named William Jennings who also died around the same time. And that uh, a lot of the confusion around the case is because people lost track of who the, which Robert was which. And that's why their claim is better. They were actually related to the right Robert and maybe uh, the actual heirs were not. Hmm, mm -hmm. um, so there were, you know, dozens and dozens of claims that actually went to court uh, with people trying to challenge the, uh, the way the estate had been awarded. Someone was um, hit by a potato one day walking next to the Thames and they were like, I am due. Is that a... <laughs> I am owed. Yeah, I don't know if any of them were like, you know, ambulance chasers stepping in front of... Handsome cabs. I mean, with all with all of the people coming forward, I'm sure some of them at least were uh, had some grievance, right? Not just that they were descendants, but that they were owed back rent or. Oh yeah, I guess that you you would have another uh, another chance there. Yeah, make a claim against the. Or estate. if the current eight year old heir like hit you with his, I don't know. There were no toys then. His wooden Noah's Ark <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> At, uh, at nursery school. The stick that looked vaguely like a, like a doll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The corn cob. It was kind of like a doll. So there, in addition to these dozens of claims that are made in court, newspapers are full of hundreds more people telling their stories, probably exaggerated or spurious, and probably hundreds or thousands more people sitting around a fire talking about how really the fortune should be theirs. And everybody had 
a story. Um, there was a family of, if your name was Jennings or Jennings, you probably had a story of how you had been screwed out of the William the Rich's estate. There was a family named Jennings in living in Taunton in 1816. So this is almost 20 years after the death who is still uh, trying to pursue this. And their story was that every day they would make a daily trip to meet the coach coming from Honiton, which they were convinced was going to have the document from London showing that their claim was the rightful one. Every day they go to meet this coach and every day the document's not there. One day something terrible happens and they're not there to meet the coach. And that's the day the document comes oh. and, and with nobody there to pay the postage or whatever, the, the, the delivery fee, it gets sent back to London. And th that's how the family missed out on its chance oh. during the first. And this is a story they continue to tell their children and their children's children for decades. You know, the the missed coach right. that uh, prevented us from earning our uh, our two million pound. Uh, and it spreads outside of England. Um, can there are claims in Canada, India, in Australia? There's a little old lady who's been told by her cousin, the Reverend that she should earn the money, but it's all very tricky because he was banished from the family and that's why they're in Australia. Come to find out he was actually a convict mm -hmm. who, was, who had been sent to Australia for penal reasons. Seems like a common story in Australia. <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, nobody cared because everybody else had come to Australia for this. But he was using the Jennings, this, this made-up Jennings banishment as a way to explain his presence in Australia that was not related to a penal colony. So a lot of these things were just made up. And now, was Jennings uh, slash Jennings a, a common surname or was it at the time like uh, somewhat rare? Did anybody look into there being a limited number of Jennings or an unlimited number? I think it must have been a very common name because in accounts of Jennings fever spreading to the Americas, it was a dance craze of the 1820s. <laughs> Everybody do the Jennings. Yeah, there's I've no got Jennings fever. There's novelty songs about it. They did the Jennings mash. Uh, Williams had, William Jennings had an uncle named William who fought in the Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. And many American Jenningses noticed that um, an American woman around that time seems to have married a woman named, a man named William Jennings. So what if it's, what if this William Jennings she married is the William Jennings? Uh -huh. And if they are, all American Jennings is essentially, could be uh, plausible heirs. So the fever spreads to America where um, it becomes not just a, a fad, but a cottage industry. All these unscrupulous American lawyers go around going door to door with a phone book, trying to find all the Jenningses and explaining to them that, you know, you need to join this Jennings subscription society. Please pay this much. And that will help me fund my litigation uh, against the, the Jennings heirs. So, so at what point did this pass through the membranous layer from like diluted, hopeful person named, named Jennings to like a legal scam where lawyers were ambulance chasing and actually drumming up work for themselves? It seems to be as soon as it hit America. <laughs> <laughs> In England, it was people named Jennings being like, ooh, let's go look at our church records. What right. if, what if uh, Uncle Nathaniel is actually related to Humphrey Jennings, you know? Uh, whereas in America, it is straight up scam artists being like, have you seen this? Take a look at this clipping. Ma'am, is your name Jennings? Huh? Why, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and so the numbers in America just increase. Suddenly, it's tens of thousands of people wow. who, are, who are interested in the Jennings fortune. In 1891, uh, a Philadelphia newspaper, I think, makes actually a number, like claims that there's like 80,000 people who have expressed interest in the, these cases. 
And in fact, this newspaper gets the, the headline is wrong because you know, fake news is not an invention of our time. Like stories got out of control in the 19th century faster than today. Weird. Um, this headline claims that uh, a branch of 25,000 Jenningses, mostly centered in Sandusky, Ohio, uh-huh. has actually claimed victory and has gotten a ruling from the Chancery Court in their favor. Now, this never actually happened, but this is in the American newspapers. So that continues to fuel the fire. Hey, hey. these guys got some money out of the estate. The Sandusky Jenningses <laughs> are rich. Except if there's really 25,000 of them, you know. How many people are in Sandusky? Not enough to support a population of 25,000 Jenningses. As I was telling the story, I was realizing there's no way all 25,000 of these <laughs> Jenningses could be in the city of Sandusky. That would be something we already knew about. <laughs> Next on the Omnibus... Why does everyone in Sandusky have the same last name? (laughs) Uh, It must have been a branch centered there that then found 25,000 shoestring relatives who were were willing to chip into the the pot to, quote, fund the litigation. Um, There's another newspaper account says there's a group of Jenningses in Alliance, Ohio, who says that they are the closest relatives to Uncle Humphrey or whoever, and that they have, in the story, they have a thousand witnesses ready to set sail. Like they have a full armada of Jenningses <laughs> ready to head over and convince the crown of the rightness of their claim, you know. Uh, and of course, it's all just, you know, lawyer mumbo jumbo. Right. It's, it's uh, some spellbinding country lawyer spinning yarns about how he's got a thousand witnesses ready to go. They're a teeming mass yearning to go back to, <laughs> to, Wait, to collect their money. This is a rare case where there's more opportunity there. So we're just going to bail. Um, so what is, at this point, what is your personal Jennings connection to this story? Well, um, what did your dad say? There were court cases as late as World War One. you know, in 1915. Um, this was a hundred years later. Yeah. Well over a hundred years later, there are still court cases being filed. And, um, and, and because of this, to this day, if you look up Jenningses in genealogical indexes, even very good ones, you know, government ones or the Mormon one or whoever has the best genealogy, um, you will see all kinds of spurious links between American Jenningses and, oh, of course. and 18th century Georgian ones because everyone wants this connection. Everyone's convinced that their great uncle was, as he said, related to Humphrey Jennings or Robert Jennings or whoever. So how would you ever sort all that out? Yeah, you can't. All the records today are now contaminated by the case. And there are cases uh, in the, as late as the 1970s where American Jenningses had, you know, just found out about this on Ripley's Believe It or Not or whatever, and were going to lawyers being like, I've looked in my records and sure enough, there's a link because, you know, now they've lost the ancestral memory of how the links got there. Right. I want to file a case. And uh, my dad said this was actually known both to his father and his grandfather. So my grandfather, Kenneth Jennings, the original, the, the first That's Kenneth Jennings. That's what they Wayne call Jennings. him? Kenneth, Kenneth Jennings, the original? OG. <laughs> the rhyme animal? They call him OG. And actually his dad is named G.O., like uh, Gardner Othniel Jennings, my memorably named great-grandfather who owned the general store in Muleshoe, Texas in the early 20th century. <laughs> and in fact, entertained Will Rogers there when Will Rogers was in town. Wow. If you're, in, if you're listening to this show in Muleshoe, Texas... And, uh, which is, I'm sure a bustling <laughs> metropolis now, like Lubbock is just a yeah. suburb of, uh, of gleaming, the gleaming spires of Muleshoe. You may have a legitimate claim to a portion of the earnings of Ken Jennings and his, uh, his illustrious game show career. So write to us. These people, yeah. So these people all knew and discussed the case and it was part of their family legend that, yeah, I th- I've heard that we were related to the English Jenningses and that maybe we should have got a cut. This was something that, um, even my, my grandpa heard. But your but up. your grandpa was not part of a suit. He he was wasn't actually a 
my, sewer. My grandpa, my grandpa was not a sewer. <laughs> and um, if there's any record of, like my great-grandfather, who was probably... Litigant, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> sewer. It's not sewer? Is this why you didn't go to law school? Uh, I think so. Um, my great-grandfather would have been born around the tail end of it. But they were, if they were Jenningses, American Jenningses, they were certainly descended from people who had tried. Sure. And, and they knew the family legend. When this case is commonly written about today, it's often said that it ended just like Jarndyce and Jarndyce, that by the time the last conflicts were resolved around 1915, that all the money had been absorbed by legal fees. My guess is that's not true. I think that's a case where history has been colored by the novel. Right. Because, you know, all these people filing claims maybe would have drained some of the estate, but if the estate was $300 million, you can fight off a lot of American roofs with pitchforks with... $300 $300 million. So is there any evidence that that money remained a, enough that it was ultimately disbursed to someone? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think the, the original ruling held and the, the closest relatives, you know, the, the children descended from a great aunt or something, um, got and kept all of his land and estates despite this kind of pointless media spurred fever. So somewhere out there in the United Kingdom right now, there's some callow playboy who's driving around in an Austin Martin and it's partly funded by the money of... I'm sure all those people gambled it away in Bernie Wooster fashion in the 30s. It's all, it's all gone now one way or another. <laughs> right. It all went to lawyers eventually. And that concludes Jennings and Jennings or Jennings v. Jennings. You still don't know. Entry 671.nu 2711, certificate number 23502 in the omnibus. Futurelings, we have no idea. Go ahead, you were about to interrupt. I was only one half of a sentence into my outro, but you already had something to say. You left such a pregnant pause after Futurelings. I was just going to say, Futurelings do not come after the Jennings game show millions. I'm telling I have, you, I have certainly frittered them away. I tell you what, if you are listening to this two, 2,000 years from now and your last name sounds anything like Jennings or Jennings. It's going to have insect clicks in it or, or alien beeps. Splorg. You are almost certainly entitled to the Ken Jennings fortune or a portion of it. So by all means, use your future lawyers. You can inherit my uh, AOL email account. You can, in, you can inherit all of his uh, little plastic figures of Wolverine. <laughs> do, you, do any of you want a complete run of the 1980s DC comic Infinity Incorporated? That's right. He has Because I've buried it in locations all over the Western United States and left a diabolical series of clues. For my clo- only my closest relative will have the brains to unearth. Ken actually solved a Rubik's Cube and it belongs to you. Um, in the unlikely event of, uh, of, of any of this surviving, almost certainly it will be accompanied by social media. We will always be attached to our social media accounts. We like to think that we can unhitch ourselves, that we can turn off our Facebook, but of course you cannot. I'm sure all these people heard about my fortune through the Ray forward, forward, Ray forward, forward, Ray <laughs> Jennings family <laughs> scandal email they got. With a little, with a little like animated uh, 8-bit little cartoon at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, from their elderly Fox XXX news watching grandparent cockroach. <laughs> what, uh, what's the saddest thing about 700 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> what is the saddest thing? There was room for 800. <laughs> I don't know if you told that right. 
It's a very small ocean. There's, all, there's only room for 100 more. Well, no, there's already so many lawyers down there. I see. It's all crowded. We want you to go to our our social media accounts because hopefully if enough, it's like uh, it's like the inverse of the movie Idiocracy. If there are enough wonderful people on our Twitter and Facebook pages, then maybe we will counteract all the Russian bots and all the bad. We believe we can quit create delightful interactive communities that are like are like the domed cities that will survive the right. the the wasteland elsewhere. That's right. What we what we never expected, and what no movie has really has really exploited yet as a plot point, is that the apocalypse will happen online. Everything else will be fine, <laughs> but there will be an online apocalypse and then an online post-apocalyptic community. That's probably who's listening to the show now. Like, you'll know it's happening when you see all the Facebook statuses change from single to radiation poisoning. They'll all go back to green. They'll all be <laughs> colored green again, except for other reasons. Um, yeah, that's right. So you are probably living in a virtual simulation of a civilization that has destroyed itself. But we want you to come over to our, to our walled garden. Leave the online rubble. At Omnibus Project on all social media. The Futurelings Facebook group and Ken's and my personal accounts at John Roderick and at Ken Jennings. It's Jennings with a G, not Jennings. That's why I never inherited. Um, you can email us at, uh, not, not the at symbol. You can email us using, using omnibus project at howstuffworks.com and you can mail us actual stuff, including affidavits and quit claims <laughs> to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Yeah, address your quit claims to Jennings Subscription Society. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe, whether real or digital slash virtual, that we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings... Maybe our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.